Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, many times the, the best way, even the only way, to tell whether something is, is fake is by knowing a lot about the real thing that the fake thing is trying to imitate. You can, you can think, for example, of gold. Children, maybe you've learned about gold in school or, or read, read books about it. And maybe you know then that there's, there's such a thing as fool's gold. It looks like gold, it, it feels like gold, but it's not real gold. It's, it's virtually worthless. How, but how can you tell? How can you tell that it's not real gold? Only by knowing certain things about pure gold, about real gold. For example, like that, that, that pure gold is, is soft enough to bend and, and it stays relatively bright and, and shiny. When you know that, you can tell that Fool's gold is a fake because fool's gold doesn't bend and it, it, it breaks and it doesn't stay bright and shiny but it, it, it tarnishes, it becomes dull. Same kind of thing goes for counterfeit money. The best way to tell a counterfeit or a fake bill from a real one is, is to know thoroughly all the security features, everything that goes into making the real bill. Well, congregation, the same thing is true with faith. Faith, which the Apostle Peter describes as being more precious than gold that perishes. And yet faith is one of those words that we can use a lot as Christians, but, but not really understand well what it is. And, and when that happens, that, that can allow fake faith or, or counterfeit faith and, and false ideas about faith to creep into our lives and, and into our churches. And so it's important then that we understand true faith, true saving faith, so that we truly believe and that we continue to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, today we are picking up our series again on the, the Bible-based teaching of the Heidelberg Catechism. It's been a month already since our last one on Lord's Day 6, and so it's good to, to just review very briefly in Lord's Day 1, we considered the main theme of the catechism, the, the comfort, and the only comfort in life and death, the comfort of belonging to Jesus Christ. In Lord's Day 2 through 4, we, we learned about the reality and the greatness or the, the magnitude of our sin and our misery and the judgment of God that we justly deserve because of our sins. And then in Lord's Day 5, we learned that the only way of deliverance is through that's the satisfaction of that justice, God's righteous justice, which neither we nor any other creature can do. We need a mediator from God, one who is a real righteous man and, and one who is also very God. And then last time from Lord's Day 6, we learned that glorious gospel news that our Lord Jesus Christ is the mediator from God that we need. And what a perfect Wonderful, glorious mediator he is. And, and since we, we left off there, of course, we've been, we've been focusing even more on Jesus Christ as we've been considering the, the, the advent of the, the, the coming, his coming into the world as Savior. But this afternoon, then, we want to focus on the Bible's teaching about true faith as it's summarized for us in Lord's Day 7. Our theme, then, for this afternoon is true saving faith. And we'll see, first of all, its vital importance. Secondly, its humble character. And third, its precious treasures. True saving 
faith. First of all, its vital importance. The opening question and answer of Lord's Day 7 makes very clear how important faith is, doesn't it? The question is, are all men then, as they perished in Adam, saved by Christ? And that's a very natural question to ask uh, as you think about what we learned in, in Lord's Day 3 from what, the, what Scripture teaches us, that, that all men, without exception, sinned in Adam. And that because of Adam's sin in the garden, we're, we're all guilty. We're all under the condemnation and wrath of God. And then in Lord's Day 6, we, we learn that there is a Savior, a, a mediator, our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and in light of those two things, it's, it's almost natural to think, well, well, then everyone's saved, right? If, if Adam represented all people in the garden, then surely Jesus Christ, in all his glory and, and grace, he must represent all people too. But the answer of our, our catechism is, is no. Only those who are engrafted into him and receive all his benefits by what? By a true faith. In other words, true faith is vitally important. You see, the first thing we need to understand here, congregation, is that only those who believe, only those who have true faith are saved. Without true faith, you cannot be saved. Now, we know that. Most of all, not all of us, that's, not, that's nothing new. The Bible makes, makes it clear in so many places and, and of course, we all know that well-known verse that we, we read earlier, John 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I'm sure many of you children here tonight could recite that verse off by heart without even thinking about it. But sometimes that can be a problem. We can, we can know things in our heads so well that we, we don't think about what they're actually saying. And so, so let me ask you children, who does this text, John 3 verse 16, who are the people who will not perish but instead have everlasting life? It's the people who believe. Whoever believes. It's very clear, isn't it? But Jesus, he, he goes on to make it without doubt clear in verses 17 and 18. When he says this, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believes on him is not condemned. In other words, he that believes on the Son of God is saved. But he that believes not is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Jesus makes it so plain and so clear in this passage. And it's just as plain in, in other passages too. You can think of 1 Corinthians 1 verse 21 where Paul writes that it pleased God by the foolishness, foolishness of preaching to save them that what? That believe. Or Romans 1, 16 and 17 the, the, which declares that the gospel is the power of God to who? To everyone that believes. True faith, beloved, is vitally important because without it, you and I cannot be saved. It's like when the Israelites were in the wilderness and, and they complained against God and, and against Moses that they had brought them 
that they brought them out of Egypt to just die in the wilderness. Do you remember, do you remember children, what God did? Jesus hints at it in John 3 when he talks about the Son of Man being lifted up as Moses lifted the serpent in the wilderness. Now maybe you remember, right? What did God do when the people complained? He sent fiery, poisonous snakes into the camp that bit the people. And so, so, so many of the people were dying and, and the people came then and confessed their sin and they asked Moses to pray to God to ask him, please take the snakes away. But then God answered Moses. How did he answer him? He answered by him by telling him to make a fiery serpent on a, an, a, of brass and put it on a pole and by declaring that everyone Everyone who is bitten by, that, by a snake, when they looked upon that serpent of brass on the pole, would live. Everyone who looked. Without that look, without that look of faith, they could not be saved. And so in the same way, congregation, only those who look in true faith to the Son of Man who was lifted up on the cross, only those who, who, who have true faith in Him as one who was made sin in the eyes of God, in the place of sinners. Only such people are saved. We cannot be saved from our sins. We cannot escape the wrath of God and be received again into His favor unless we believe in Jesus. Now again, maybe, maybe you think or, or at least are tempted to think we know this. What's next? But let's not become proud thinking we don't need to hear this. Some of you some of you may be here tonight and you're, you're saying this. You're, you're saying, I, I know this all so well. You're listening maybe with just half an ear, but you still haven't looked. You still are unbelieving. Well, then the word of God this afternoon should shake you. Have you already forgotten what Jesus said? He who believes not is condemned already. Or as the last verse of John 3 says, He that believes not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. You can be doing, you see, you can be doing all kinds of religious things. You can be a baptized member, even a confessing member of the congregation. But if you don't have true faith in Jesus Christ, you're not saved. By grace, are ye saved through faith? Even as believers, don't we need to be reminded of this again and again? You see, we can be tempted in all kinds of ways to throw out God's demand for true faith or to water it down, to, to just hide it away. It could, be, it could be the desire to see more people come to church. It's a good desire. But if we make that desire an idol in our hearts, then it becomes a temptation. Well, maybe let's just, let's just soften the demands a little bit. Or, or it could be even the painful death of loved ones who showed no evidence of true faith in their lives. Or it could be the pride and the self-righteousness of our own sinful flesh still. Or it could be persecution. Or it could even be fear of false doctrine. There's, there's so many things that can pressure us and, and subtle ways to pressure us to downplay or, or to deny the importance of true faith. 
But the Bible is clear. True faith is vitally important because only those who have true faith shall be saved. But maybe you say, how? How, how, how is true faith so vitally important? How does it save? How can it save me? Well, the first thing we have to say here is that true faith or, or believing is not something that earns our salvation. It's not something that even entitles us to it in that sense. No, faith is not a work. Paul is very clear about that, especially in, in the book of Romans. In, in Romans 4, verse 16, he declares that the righteousness of God, which in the context is really the, the salvation of God, that that salvation is of faith, that it might be by grace. He's constantly, Paul in Romans is saying, it's not works, it's grace. It's not works, it's faith. That saves. And that means then that God does not save anyone because of their faith. No, he saves you through your faith. You are saved by faith, not because it somehow earns the salvation you need. It's not like you, you come to God and you say, here's my faith, Lord. And then he, he says, okay, that satisfies. Now you're saved. No, no, no. It's, it's, you're saved through faith because by it, by it, God graciously connects and unites you to Christ, who has already earned the salvation that we need for you, for us. The Catechism describes this with a picture of ingrafting. Ingrafting is when a branch, a branch from one plant is, is broken off, maybe of a, of a, off a vine or a, a fruit tree of some sort, and it's inserted into, into an opening that is cut into the, the, the vine or the, the, the trunk of another tree. So that branch, that branch that was broken off of the old tree was, is connected to the new one, and it, it, it receives life from it. That, that's what happens when you respond to the gospel in true faith. You are ingrafted into Christ by God. Of Him, of God, are ye in Christ Jesus, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30. It's a, it's a biblical picture, this picture of ingrafting. It's, Jesus uses it in John 15, and Paul uses it in Romans 11. And, and really, every time you, you read the phrase that the people of God, the saints, are in Christ Jesus. They're in Christ Jesus. That's the picture. They are in, grafted in to Him. Do you see then that by faith you become connected and united to Christ and so receive all His benefits? Do you see with me then how true faith is so vitally important? Without it, you see, you, you, are, you are not connected to Jesus. You are still a branch connected to Adam, as it were. To be saved from your sins and from your bondage to the devil and from condemnation and from the wrath of a just and holy God, you need to be ingrafted, connected, united to Christ and to receive all his benefits. And the only way that happens is by faith. True Faith is so vitally important. And in light of that then, isn't it appropriate, congregation, to examine ourselves, to see, as Paul exhorts the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5, to see whether we are in 
the faith? Do you have this true saving faith? Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? But maybe you say, well, how do I know? What, what does true faith look like? Well, that's a good question. And that brings us to our second point. The humble character of true saving faith. Question and answer 20 of the Catechism asks us this very question. What is true faith? And its answer, it's a full answer. It's a, and I, I don't think I will be able to deal with all of it in detail in one sermon. But its answer is rooted in Scripture, as we will see. And its answer is this. True faith is not only a certain knowledge, whereby I hold for truth all that God has revealed to us in His Word, but also an assured confidence which the Holy Spirit works by the gospel in my heart, that not only to others, but to me also, remission of sin, everlasting righteousness, and salvation are freely given by God, merely of grace, only for the sake of Christ's merits. It's a full, it's a packed answer. But what really stands out here in the answer is the, is the humble character of true faith. First of all, true faith consists of a certain knowledge. It involves knowing something. And that makes sense. You can't believe in something you don't know. Faith knows the Word of God. Paul says in Romans 10 verse 17 that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. How shall people believe in Him of whom they have not heard? That's why, congregation, it's so urgently important to share and to proclaim God's word to people. Because they cannot believe and therefore they cannot be saved if they never hear and know the word of God. That's why it's important for us to be under the word of God. But faith is more than just simple knowledge of God's word. It's a certain knowledge. It's a conviction whereby I hold for truth all that God has revealed to us in His Word. The psalmist in, in Psalm 119, verse 160, expresses it like this, Thy Word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endures forever. True faith is the conviction that God's Word, as Jesus says in His high priestly prayer in John 17, Thy word is truth. Do you see in this congregation the humble character of faith? True faith bows under the word of God, and not just some of it, but all of it. It acknowledges that all of God's word is true. It doesn't, it doesn't judge God's word. It doesn't criticize God's word. It doesn't raise itself above God's word. No, but it, it comes under it. It comes, it comes to the word of God with a submissive spirit, even when there are parts of, of it that are hard to understand or that are hard to, to believe or, or hard to accept. You see something of this knowledge, this conviction in Bartimaeus. Try and picture Bartimaeus there on the side of the road, children. Sitting there, outside of Jericho, holding out his, his hands and begging for money, waiting for people to come by. And, and all of a sudden he hears some noise. Sounds like a whole, whole group, a huge group of people coming outside from out of Jericho. 
And as they come by, as they begin to come, some of the people begin to come. He, he asks one of them, what, what's going on? And, and someone says, it's Jesus of Nazareth. He's leaving Jericho and he's, he's going to Jerusalem. Well, what does Bartimaeus do? He stops begging people for money and he starts begging Jesus for mercy. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. But did you notice what he calls Jesus there? Son of David. Isn't that interesting? He, we, we, we've heard a bit, of, a bit about that title, haven't we, as we, we consider our Advent series. Jesus was the son of David. And so here we, we learn that Bartimaeus obviously knew the word of God, a, a word that prophesied that a son of David would come and would reign forever and who would come and save and help and have mercy on his people. He knew the word of God, you see, and he believed it to be true, believing also that Jesus was the fulfillment of that word. He held the word of God, in the words of our catechism, for truth. If he didn't, he would never have cried out to Jesus, and he never would have been healed. What about us? Do you do I have that kind of conviction, that kind of knowledge that Bartimaeus had, whereby you hold for truth all that God has revealed to you in his word? Do you have that conviction that God's word is true? Do you humbly bow under the word? Oh, beloved, what a blessing it is when we can begin the new year with that kind of Knowledge, that conviction, that submission, that true faith. When you have true faith, you, you humbly acknowledge and believe all of God's word to be true, but, but that's not all. That's not, that's not all of it. You also humbly confide in Jesus Christ and his finished work alone for your personal salvation. You see this in the second part of the catechism ans catechism's answer. The Catechism speaks of true faith as an assured confidence which the Holy Spirit works by the gospel that I am, I'm not going to paraphrase here, that I am saved, not only others, but also I am saved. I'm, I'm forgiven. I'm declared righteous. I'm saved by God, by His grace alone, only for the sake of Christ's merits. All the parts of that answer belong together. And that's important to see, congregation, because some of us can struggle with assurance of salvation. And we, we hear the first part of the answer, and that it's true faith is, is not only a certain knowledge, but also an assured confidence. And, and like, a, like a turtle, we put our heads in our shell, and we look around, and we say, there's no assurance. I have no assurance. Maybe I'm not saved. We start worrying we don't have true faith. But the answer, congregation, is not saying, it's not saying that true faith is an assured confidence that I am saved. It's saying that true faith is an assured confidence that I am saved by grace alone in Christ alone. And the proof of that kind of confidence is that you don't look to yourself for your salvation. And you don't boast in your church attendance or your church membership or the money you put in the offering or the good things you do for other people. But you put your confidence, you place your confidence alone in Jesus Christ. 
That's why Jesus himself said in John 3 that the faith, the believing that saves, is a believing in him. When you have true faith, you humbly confide in Jesus Christ and in his finished work for all your salvation. Again, we see a beautiful picture of this assured confidence in blind Bartimaeus, don't we? There he is. There he is again, children. Picture him there on the side of the road begging. But when he hears that Jesus is passing by on the road, he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He humbly confides in Jesus. He puts his confidence in Jesus, pleading, pleading nothing in himself, but pleading the person and the work and the mercy of Jesus as the son of David. Yes, he places all his confidence, all his hope, all his trust in Jesus, even when others around him tell him, stop crying, stop, stop making so much noise, be quiet. No, he cries out all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then what he learns, when he learns that Jesus has stopped, stopped, he has stood still to show mercy. When he learns that he has stopped and is calling him to come, what does he do? He casts his garment away and, and he jumps up and he comes empty-handed to the Savior, relying totally on his grace and on his mercy to give him his sight. That is faith. And that's why, congregation, Jesus said to Bartimaeus, Go thy way, thy faith has made thee whole. It wasn't that his faith was something that made Bartimaeus deserving of healing. It was that his faith confided in Jesus and in his grace for healing, for salvation. That's true faith. And, and, and we see that continue also as, as Bartimaeus hears Jesus say to him, go thy way, your faith has made you whole. What does Bartimaeus do? He doesn't go his way. He follows Jesus in the way. That's true faith. It's being humbly convicted that all God's word is true and humbly confiding in Jesus Christ and his grace alone for your salvation. Does that describe you? Oh, if it does. If it does, how humble and how thankful to the Lord you should be. You see, true faith is a gift of God. It is the Holy Spirit who has worked that faith in you. Apart from him, you and, and, and I could and would never believe. Jesus makes that clear to Nicodemus in John 3, even before he starts talking to him about the need for faith, doesn't he? We didn't read it together, but it's there in, in John 3, in verses 3 and 5. Jesus says, except a man be born again, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Paul makes the same point in Ephesians 2, when he says in verses 8 and 9, by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is the Spirit who works faith. And he works that faith not just the first time, but continually and increasingly throughout our lives by the gospel. Or as Paul says in Romans 10 and many, and, and many other places, by the word. Oh, then how we all should love the gospel. 
How we all should love and treasure the word, the reading of it, and the hearing of it also in the preaching. Will you do that also in this new year, in, in 2023? It is by the gospel you see that Jesus, or that the Spirit works faith, both initially and increasingly. True saving faith is humble in its character. But don't, don't misunderstand that. That doesn't mean that Christians should be apathetic or ashamed or willing to compromise about the gospel that they are called to believe. No question and answer 22 and 23 is very adamant that a Christian must believe certain things. And this brings us now to our third point, the precious, the precious treasures of true faith. And question 22 asks, what is necessary for a Christian to believe? And in answer, the believer confesses all things promised us in the gospel, which the articles of our Catholic or universal undoubted Christian faith briefly teach us. And then question and answer 23 lists those articles. We know them, of course. We recited them using the Apostles' Creed. And, and the main point these question and answers are making is this. True Christian faith is a faith full of precious content, full of precious treasures, treasures that a Christian not only may, but must embrace and hold fast and guard. But what are they? What, what are these precious treasures that a Christian must embrace and hold fast and guard? All things promised us in the gospel. That seems pretty broad, pretty general, but that's the point. You see, everything promised in the gospel, the good news of salvation in and through Jesus Christ, is essential. Or to put it another way, nothing promised us in the gospel is disposable. There is nothing promised in the gospel that we can do without and still be saved. And therefore, everything promised in the gospel is of infinite value. Everything promised in the gospel has eternal and saving significance. Everything promised in the gospel is a precious treasure of faith that we must embrace and hold fast and guard. Not only because everything promised in the gospel is essential to salvation, but also because everything promised in the gospel is sufficient, is sufficient for salvation. There is nothing outside of what is promised in the gospel that we need in order to be saved. The New Testament over and over and over again makes that clear. Paul is, even uses strong language. He, you think of the letter to the Galatians, which, which Paul writes because the Galatian Christians were being tempted to listen to another gospel besides the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, no, no, all you need is in the gospel. It's all there. The Lord Jesus Christ is sufficient. He is a complete Savior. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Like, Pete, like uh, Jesus told the Samaritan woman in John 4, speaking figuratively, he said, whosoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. It's, it's everything you need. So everything promised in the gospel is a precious treasure that we must embrace and hold fast and guard. Children, I'm sure some of you like to pretend sometimes that you are looking for a treasure chest. Imagine 
Imagine once that you actually found one and, and you were told, somehow you knew that you got to keep whatever was in that treasure chest. And you found this treasure chest and, and it was full, it was, it was overflowing with, with wonderful precious treasures, gold and, and silver and jewels and, and diamonds and all kinds of precious things. What would you do? Shrug your shoulders and say, that's nice, and walk away? No. You wouldn't, would you? You would, you would admire those those treasures, and, and you, would, you, would, you would take them and, and look at them and, and, and admire them, and, and you would guard them from robbers. You would, you would hold them fast. But how much more than must we not embrace and hold fast and guard as precious treasures all the things promised us in the gospel? Is that what you're doing? What is your response to the things promised in the gospel? as you read them in God's word, as you hear them proclaimed in the preaching. Oh, let us not be ashamed of them. Let us not be unsure about them, but let us embrace them in faith and hold them fast and guard them for all the promises of God in Christ Jesus are yea and in him, amen, unto the glory of God. So all things promised us in the gospel are the precious treasures of true saving faith. But that doesn't really help us to understand the contents of the Christian faith. It doesn't help us to know how to tell the difference between a Christian and a person with a different religion. And that's important, congregation. How can we embrace and hold fast and guard faith's treasures if we have no idea what those precious treasures are? And so the Catechism goes on to give us a helpful biblical summary of the Christian faith that teaches us what all those things what the gospel is and what all the things promised in the gospel are. And we call that summary, of course, the Apostles' Creed. Lord's Day 8 through 22 of the Catechism will explain that creed in detail. But what's important to see this evening is the value of this creed, the value of these articles as it relates to true saving faith. True saving faith embraces and holds fast and guards all things promised in the gospel as precious treasures. But then... Christian believers and the Christian church must be clear on what the gospel is. They must be clear on the basic facts of the gospel. Especially in our day when there's no such thing as truth in our society anymore. There's just your truth and there's my truth. And what there ends up really being is no truth at all. Everybody believes what they want to believe. And you have all these mixtures and... Because everyone's going to be saved and no one's... No one's going to hell. Everyone's going to heaven. Many people in our world, even in so-called Christian churches, live that way today. If we are not clear on the truths of the gospel, we cannot embrace and hold fast and guard the things that are promised in the gospel. Christians and the Christian church, which Paul in 1 Timothy 3 calls the pillar and the ground of the truth, have a duty and a calling to be clear on the gospel to contend for the faith and to shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life. And the Apostles' Creed congregation is is simply a summary of that gospel that we may hold forth. It uncovers, it's meant to uncover to us something of the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ and of how great that comfort of belonging to him is so that we would embrace him 
and all things promised us in the gospel. So let's not despise the Apostles' Creed. Let's not, let's not think, well, it's just an extra-biblical document. No, it does not have the same authority as the Word of God. But it faithfully summarizes the gospel as it is revealed to us in the Word. And so let us use it. Let us use it also in these coming weeks to, to, to dig, to dig for those precious treasures that we might embrace them, that we might hold them fast, and that we might guard them and, yes, also show them to others so that others might, by our witness and by the Spirit's power, obtain, as the Apostle Peter put it, like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, congregation, in light of the Bible's teaching on true saving faith, its vital importance, its humble character, and its precious treasures, what a blessing, what a miracle of grace. What a miracle of grace you are if you are here tonight with true faith, having true faith. Something to be so thankful to God for. And what an encouragement it is also, there is in this teaching also to continue and to persevere and to grow in faith by the hearing of the gospel and looking to the Lord to bless it. And what an urgent warning it is if you are here tonight. If you have no true faith as the Bible describes it, oh, don't continue in that way. Don't neglect so great a salvation. Don't be satisfied with with your own ideas about faith or false ideas or fake faith, but truly believe. He that believes on him, on the Son of God, is not condemned, but has everlasting life. Thus says our Lord. Amen.